0: The way you do anything is the way you do everything. And I think you always need to remember that. Mm-hmm. If you're the person sweeping the floor, be the best person sweeping the floor. If you're the person printing, you know, if you're the person photocopying, be the best photocopying person. Don't forget sheets. Don't, you know, misalign <laughs> things. F&I Rap Chat is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network and recorded at the podcast studio in Dublin City Centre. Shoutouts to our sponsors, Wildcard Distribution and Film Equipment Store. This
1: episode was produced and edited by Larry McGowan. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the podcast studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Hello, everybody, and you're very welcome back to another episode of FNI Rap Chat on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Uh, you can find us on Headstuff Plus. But you know that already because you're here, but you can tell your friends to join us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your podcast content. Uh, my name is Paul Butler-Lennox, uh, and I'm your host today. Um, just wanted to um, just uh, uh, like give some major gratitude to some people that, uh, that helped uh, some professionals who have joined us on our journey with our mentorship program, uh, which we're launching or may have launched? Again, this goes out, um, where professional people in the industry are giving their time for free to give some Zoom call uh, time or face to face mentorship, where they uh, will, you know, send uh, the elevator back down um, to help, you know, people who are on the up, abstent- uh, ostensibly. Um, You know, um, we reached out to a few people and it's just become this (laughs) this live aid situation where people just everybody wants to help. So it's a really wonderful thing to see in action. Um, And that's part of a mentorship membership thing that we're doing with FNI. It's kind of like a Patreon environment and everything basically comes back. Um, into the upkeep and the betterment of our services and classes and other various different uh, different pursuits, uh, creative and educational pursuits. Um, if you'd like to support FNI, you, you can do that in a couple of ways. You can go to Headstuff Plus and become a member and sign up there. Or you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash FNI and you can, you can buy us a cup of coffee. Or you can become a member and... That will give you um, first dibs on some opportunities that come up over the next year. Before the end of this year, we're going to be having a large networking event where everybody can actively avoid me in person, which is what people do anyway. Or (laughs) you can, you know, everybody can interact with each other and it will be members based. Um, So you'll get a free ticket to that and you can interact with other filmmakers and creatives kind of one on one, which is going to be very weird, but very fucking cool for everybody for the first time in a long time. So, today. Today is... um, um, I'm uh, quite excited about tracking down um, somebody who's lived abroad who uh, I've known for a couple of years, um, and I admire greatly um, for his honesty in in his work and, uh, you know, in his creative endeavours. An animator, a director, a writer, and somebody who is sitting across from me by the name of Paul oMos, how are you Hey Paul? how are you doing? <laughs> How's that for an intro? yeah, very nice. how are you keeping i'm good how are you I'm good, man. um how are you feeling about uh how was the last year and a half for you uh, two years wonderful i <laughs> i couldn't
0: couldn't be better if you asked me no, no it's been it's been good um yeah yeah like i've been I've been kind of living Living in a few different places um, in the last few years. So, when the whole COVID thing struck, I was actually in Sydney at the time in, okay. in New South Wales. So, I kind of saw everything from that perspective over there. And then I came back to Ireland maybe, I think, five months
1: ago, something like that, six months ago.
0: So, I kind of, I've seen it kind of from both the Australian perspective and the Irish perspective.
1: The Aussies were like quite. Laid back and liberal about it all at the start, weren't they? They were, you know.
0: Uh, no, as the, uh, the opposite, they were actually very, very locked down. Like it was a very, like they had very, very few cases, and they they took it very, very seriously from the
1: beginning. Okay, yeah, that's. Oh, maybe that's some other Southern Hemisphere. Country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. What, so, what was it like being in the like the eye of that particular storm? Where they're like, send the Irish out, send send the Rangas out.
0: No, nah, they, just, they just closed <laughs> all the borders, man. I mean, that's the difference between Australia and Europe is the fact that in Europe, you can't really close the borders yeah. in the sense that it's one connective thing pretty much whereas like in Australia they can literally disclose their borders so nobody goes nobody in or out nobody goes in nobody comes out it's pretty much that really I mean you had like hundreds of I think it was hundreds of thousands of Australians who were trapped uh, abroad they just couldn't come home because it was like they basically stopped a lot of the flights and things like this a lot of people were stuck in London and places like that yeah
1: there was one or two news uh, reports of Irish that were like stuck in hotels mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which was yeah I remember uh, during that period um, a good or a bad creative period for you during that time?
0: Um, I was lucky in the fact that I never stopped working. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just about the same time that I started, I started on a pro- uh, project mm-hmm. um, pretty much just as we went into lockdown. So I was working the entire way through. So to be honest, in a weird way, I'm a pretty new parent and I was, I was going to say
1: you're quite attractive.
0: Well,. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that goes without saying. I mean, that's, you can hear that over the, the <laughs> mic. But um, I think that's something that's... that's Like being a new parent and being in a new place and working a full-time, very heavy job, the whole lockdown thing didn't seem that odd to us. There was very little... You would disturb- have been
1: in a cocoon at the time. Yeah, anyway, there was very little. Know.
0: And my my girlfriend's a very uh, good uh, line producer, and she was incredibly busy at the same time and a, and a different job. So yeah. we were both, like... I, th- I think our life was about 95 percent normal, even with all of the crazy COVID stuff going on, just because there was no way we were going out, <laughs> we, re- we were working from home anyway. So it was like...
1: Uh, yeah, by virtue of the fact of, you know, that's what, like that kind of bubble within that, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of year or two or the first couple of years of a child's life is yeah. very much no sleep and not leaving the house very much unless you have to, right?
0: exactly so. There was definitely, it wasn't easy, but at the same time, I think we we were lucky in the fact that we were able to work from home. We were lucky in the fact that, yeah, I mean, it didn't have major, it didn't have major effects on our life.
1: It just kind of like constricted the very few things we already, we could do. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those of you who don't know, uh, Paul is a... Um, uh, an animator a director a director of animation a compositor all those wonderful things that come with working in and, and the various roles you, I'm sure you've done various different roles over the over the last what 15, 20 years you've been in
0: Yeah good question actually um, I guess yeah I, start, I started doing freelance work when I was probably about 20 I suppose
1: Okay. so yeah like so like s- 7 or 8 years yeah 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 so like 4 or 5 <laughs> 4 or 5 years now so, yeah um, I might take you kind of right back um, in terms of like your creative Mm -hmm. journey Um, I'm fascinated by animation and I have much of a um, I've such an incredible admiration for the level of work that goes into any animated even no matter how big or small the production and the amount of uh, there seems to be um, not that there's more of a pulling together or more team more of a team you know aesthetic but um, teamwork aesthetic but it's incredible to me, just the sheer amount of people that work on such minute details, which in some within something like an animated uh, feature film, particularly something that would have been more traditionally two d and stuff um what What inspired you to want to tell stories kind of i suppose initially um is there any film or creative experience when you're younger, animated or or movie wise?
0: That's a good point, actually. Um, movies that inspired me as younger. I mean, in terms of in terms of animation, it was like I saw the jungle. I think the Jungle Book was one of the first films I saw in the cinema, and I think that's it's funny because I remember meeting um, I remember meeting an older animator one time, and he asked me a similar question, and he was like Jungle Book. Why is it always Jungle Book? Because he's like the thing is, you know, Disney used to release those movies every seven years, and you have so many so many animation people who are you know ten years older than me, twenty years older than me. And it all goes back to Jungle Book for, for so many people. Some people saw it originally came out. Some people saw it on that after seven years released, the seven years after that. Mm-hmm. It just was a thing that just kept uh, having this effect on people. And I think it's because it's it's partly it's the it's the, the, the joy of the filmmaking. Partly it's the, you know, the songs, the, the joy of the film itself. But also the fact that if you look at that film, you can see the drawings. You, you can mm-hmm. see the weight of the pencil. It feels like a drawing. And as a kid, you understand that you you. Every kid has held a pencil and drawn or trying to, tried to try to draw something. Mm-hmm. And when you see that film, I think it's very obvious that those are that those are pencil lines that those are like something that maybe
1: you could do. And I think it makes it very accessible, you know. Yeah. Um I remember having this argument with somebody um not too long ago that yeah, people don't uh, like people of a certain age would not realize that there would have been re-releases. Mm-hmm. I had an yeah. argument with somebody who said that I didn't see ET in the cinema because it was released in 1982. But I did because it was re released like years later. So sure, yeah, I yeah. would have been like seven or eight gone to see it again, you know, on a big screen in, I don't know, the Carlton maybe or whatever it was, or Safoy about that. But yeah, I mean, that's what maybe not something that happens so often now is re releases of, I suppose, if you discounting the Rocky Horror Picture show that would have ran continually mm-hmm. in Ireland, but in, in Dublin and Harold's Cross. But apart from that, um, so with the Jungle Book, like how big like it's disney is in everybody's subconscious in terms mm-hmm. of ad- animation but was there what was it about that film and and subsequent work as well i mean were you somebody who followed um the journey of all those movies or were you kind of radically influenced by other stuff as well maybe from japan and stuff
0: sure i was never i was never like when i went to college uh a lot of the people who are my friends were obsessed with anime and obsessed with uh, Japanese animation, especially Ghibli and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, like Mecha Suit stuff, like like um, Mobile Suit Gundam and stuff. Like a lot of people were, like, really obsessed with, with anime. That was, and especially my, my French friends now, uh, they had a, a lot more access to, in France, to Japanese animation. Mm-hmm. But... For me, I was really about American animation. That was really the thing. Like it was really those old Disney films. It was really Looney Tunes. It was a big thing. I used to be obsessed with those because they used to be also on TV. They were very accessible as well. And I think a big thing about that is, I think it was Fred Siebert recently had like a quote about that Looney Tunes were like the closest kids had to rock and roll. You know what I mean? <laughs> that like Looney Tunes is kids for rock uh, is rock and roll for kids. And I think it's that's just, that's the perfect thing. It, it is like when you're a kid. There's nothing kind of, like, more exciting than that kind of feeling of, like, really great animation, like, that really speaks to you, that's really... um Lawless, almost. Yes, exactly. Yeah, 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 it, yeah. Ca-
1: captures it captures the imagination of that spontaneity of idea and the creativity. Yeah, very much so. Yeah,
0: I mean, in terms of storytelling stuff, I, I also was always a big reader, like I still am. Like I, I was always a, a very voracious reader since I was a kid, and so I think even like when I was quite young, I started to take like the, my parents' books and start read them, like when I was like seven or eight, th- that kind of thing. So I think it's also in terms of storytelling, I think it was probably more
1: literary influence more than maybe the the. The filmic influence, I think. Okay, when did you actively decide, uh, or do you separate? Do you see a difference? Like, do you sti- do you see the the active storytelling as a variety of different uh, disciplines? Like, do you differentiate, or do you do, like? Because I know that you you know a lot of filmmakers like to dabble in different uh, dis- disciplines. Do you see yourself as primarily a anime like director of animation?
0: Sure. No, no, not at all. I mean, I think I think it's it's funny because it's generally thought that um, it seem the general idea seems to be that like you know, you've you've got your directors do live action, mm-hmm. um, and if someone who directed animation gets to step up into live action, let's say Brad Bird with like Mission Impossible Four or something like that. Mm-hmm if you get someone from animation gets to step up it's like wow they're stepping up look that
1: person got to join the big boy table you yeah know I mean? like it's not like it wasn't a fucking in- incredibly difficult pursuit yeah <laughs> I mean I
0: would see it completely the other way around I, I would I would ask any live action director to try to direct animation um, or try to try to come up in animation and make your way to being a director I mean if you like I think the point is that animation is, is the ultimate is the ultimate uh, film art it's in the purest the purest there it yeah. is the purest there can be because if you look at I don't know, if you look at any film, if you look at any film and there's birds flying by in the background and the trees are blowing in the wind and stuff like that, that's free. Mm. I mean, that it's very, very likely that that bird happened to be flying past. It's very, very likely they didn't put a wind machine there for that tree that's far in the background. But if you see that in an animated film, that idea had to be had. It had to be boarded. It had to be animated. It had mm. to be had to go through different reviews to see, is that too much wind? Is that enough wind? It had, the trees had to be designed. There is not, <laughs> nothing is free. Like there, there's no blink that's free. There's no hand there's gesture. No,
1: there's no creative flukes. Yeah.
0: There's not everything that's, I mean, there, there are beautiful little things you find along the way that you didn't expect. Mm-hmm. And that's always what you're hoping for. But anything you see on screen, no matter how small it is, is, is a choice that someone made. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, for me, I think that's what, what differentiates live action and animation is the fact that in live action you just get so much for free you know what I mean you you you, you can just happen a, across things so easily whereas you have
1: to really really work to put them in in animation you could argue that the, the ideas need to be that little bit stronger mm-hmm. yeah to be debated and 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 you know you know you know from a, commu- a, a committee environment essentially a lot of decision making has to be made yeah yeah so if anything it's you know for it to be to work like it's particularly with the likes of Pixar movies and you know three D animation and how things have moved on over the years and developed for for you know for for adults to find so much within these movies. I mean, it just shows the the level of detail and work and, you know, obviously, you know, like gags. uh, (laughs) It's a wonder any gags get into those movies at all because they're just, you know, scrutinized and scrutinized and scrutinized. Of course, yeah. And there's so many people contributing a lot of
0: of the time. Um, I think it also has to be able to sustain you for much longer. I mean, let's say there was a live action film I made like, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. I think it was maybe five six minutes long. I shot it in two days. Yeah, right. I mean, a long time developing the script. Everything else, uh, working with the actor, and then we shot in two days. I made a five minute animated film. It took me nine months, and that was nine months of actual production. Before that, there was months and months of working on the script, designs, going through different boards, different things. But nine months of the actual full on production. Um, but that's the difference. You have to. You have to really want it's to make really something. Really sure, right? Yeah, I mean, you and I could have a film about two guys having coffee and we could shoot it if it's like a five minute film we could shoot it in half an hour now in the next room but if i wanted to do that i have to design uh, if i want to do an animation i have to design the characters mm-hmm. we have to board it we have to plan it out because there is no physical table there is no physical cup what does a cup look like everything <laughs> you know what i mean everything like how, how does what is the personality of each person how so does this person hold you're
1: the cup? kind of like god Exactly, very much so.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. now, now I, uh, I just I was just watching Frankenstein like two days ago. You yeah, like the original one? It's like you know. It's now a know, Now I know what it feels like to be God. Yeah, it's it's very much
1: that. Um, is the gratification of working on something um, like that more? Is it is, is it deeper? Is it is it different from when something is like, for example, you work with Cartoon Saloon. Mm-hmm. What's it like? Like uh, I I know from um, having conversations with some other people that work in cartoon saloon about how it, it just feels in the best sense of the word uh, like a incredible celebration of of a village, you know, which can be less 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 so with, with certain you know with TV and stuff. Um, is it more gratifying when something like that is? And 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 I have to say just as someone you know. Um, who's a massive fan of Cartoon Saloon's work? Can somebody just give give you guys an Oscar, please? <laughs> please, I don't understand what's happening. Well, we're working on the new film right now. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what's it going to take? <laughs> you know, what, like you, like modern day masterpieces that in a hundred years people look at and go, Jesus Christ, you know?
0: Yeah, but you got to look at the you got to look at the people on the boards, things like that. I think I think it's interesting because I, I I I think in some ways I think the opposite. I I think that the problem is that people. Um, hold the Oscars so so highly, you know what I mean? I think that's actually a bigger issue is the fact that, especially Irish people, I think that we should be looking at uh, European awards or, or specifically Irish awards like like Saloon Films have won IFTAs, for instance, but yes. no, but nobody holds that in particularly high regard. Or if they've won, say, BAFTAs, nobody holds that in particularly high regard. I mean, the Oscar is basically something you can say to the hairdresser and they know exactly what you mean. So that, and that's why it's, it's valuable. Uh, and it's valuable in the sense of it increases your worth let's say to to partners you want to work with or people who want to work with you let's say Mm -hmm. but I think
1: it's not about the awards necessarily it's the recognition exactly but the right recognition and I suppose the argument could be made that um, a company like Cartoon Saloon for another for th- an an Oscar win might sustain another company in a different way that mm-hmm. may not where you guys are obviously a lot more self-sustainable and a lot more creatively driven as opposed to com- you know commercially driven sure. yeah so it's a different animal i suppose it you know and i mean this in the, in, in in the nicest way it is nice just to be nominated then in, in in that way i would imagine for the team
0: no very much so it's a it's a don't get me wrong. It's a huge recognition uh, for the studio, for the, especially for the team of people who worked in it, um, for Tom, for Nora. I mean, for the directors, for the producers, for everybody in, in the in the studio. Yeah. Um, I, I think on, on, on those fronts, it's a, it's amazing to to be recognized on, on a
1: on a global pl- platform like that. Yeah, I just think the, con- the the country generally after you know every two or three years or four years, or, you know, whenever it was in between the nominations, mm-hmm. you know, like everybody else. The next day, it's like oh, for fuck's sake you know and we like like i know the film community in general we speak so very highly and we're so proud of the work that you guys do and and, and all animation across the country i mean we you know um where what where do you think uh, we're obviously held in a very high regard across the world in terms of our output um where do you feel as if our place uh, in the world is in terms of animation and what's what's what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong we're doing a lot right obviously Mm-hmm. Yeah, I
0: mean, uh, at the moment, uh, Ireland's punching way above its weight for its size. Like for its size in the global market in terms of in terms of the kind of the quality of work we're turning out in terms of the the amount of projects, the amount of animation work that's actually happening in Ireland now yeah. is huge. Um, I could fire off some statistics, but I'm half remembering them, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but I, basically 10 years, ag- uh, like uh, 15 years ago, there was a very small amount of people uh, employed... Uh, in animation in Ireland, and now that number has like, you know, blown up uh, massively. Well, there's not enough say.
1: people actually trained in the air form to come and work and do these jobs, right? So there.
0: You mean there? There wasn't enough then?
1: No. Well, even now, less. Well, the pe- obviously, more so now. People are training oh. or retraining. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, it was it was the case. I would imagine. I don't know if it still is that you you know people have to be flown in for specific jobs, or, or it's so lucrative that people the, the Irish experience plus mm-hmm. coming to work for that company company is a huge thing now. We, yeah,
0: I mean, in Ireland, the, the animation community is very um, diverse. I mean, it's it's a very like for me. I work with a lot of uh, uh, French, a lot of Italian, a lot of Spaniards, mm-hmm. um, a lot of Danes. Um, like I work with people like with people from all over the world all the time, um, and I think that's that's really great. I think that really infuses everything we're doing with with um, with, with outside what influence an international
2: of flavor. Well, it's true. I mean, the <laughs> thing is, you,
0: you need that's what art is. Art is yeah. art is taking basically every every absorbing everything that you enjoy or everything you're passionate about is ab- about absorbing that and funneling it into your work. So when you are surrounded by people who are very, very passionate and who have strong opinions about things, that's, that's where good art comes from, I
1: think. You know what yeah, I mean? it's that, you know, the cliche of, you know, somebody being better at you and up in your game as a result, mm-hmm. when in reality that's not necessarily always the case. It's, you know, you know people bring different things to different tables. And sure. And, and it's I, about comfort more so than anything else. I would
0: say that it's one thing as a director that um, I think some people find hard to do is the fact that I think that everybody on your team should be uh, singly better than you at each uh, um, in each department. They should mm-hmm. be better than you at that job. You know what I mean. So essentially, by the end of your 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 casting process for your crew, you should be the weakest person in any one of those jobs. You know what I mean? <laughs> because yeah. you sh- everybody in that team should be someone that you aspire to be as good
1: as. I think yeah the yeah it, it's the, it's the hire great people and let them do mm-hmm. their jobs yeah, sure what skills specifically are more important to a director of animation I, I suppose you would just be like you'd be dealing with people i would imagine a lot more one-on-one than maybe a live action director would be mm-hmm. like a live action director maybe up in video village or somewhere else or you know a lot of walkie-talkies and whatever else whereas I would imagine, you know, a director of animation would be on the floor, very hands-on, over people's shoulders in a good way. You know, team building, better communicator in lots of ways. Sure, Would I, have to be.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think one thing maybe that's that's interesting is you can't, you know, you uh, you always hear stories of on um, live action sets of like you know, um, um, author or authoritative uh, directors, uh, <laughs> you know, like uh, storming off or or slamming fists or doing whatever you can't really get away from that in animation. I mean, that's okay if you're going to be on set for two weeks and you storm around and do whatever, but yeah. but try keeping that consistent for like nine months or two years. You know what I mean? Come in every day, I mean, and try to keep your crew or try to have people respect you and not think you're a child. You know what I mean? Like, you <laughs> can't you, you can't keep that up. Uh, you, so you kind of... Because it's harder to
1: mask if you're a bit of a prick in I animation.
0: So. I would imagine so. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things in general, and I think that's something that... I remember uh, one of the guys I know kind of, that was one of the first things he told me when I started working with the studio. He's like, Oh, we have like a no asshole policy here. So he's like, if you're a good guy, you'll stick around. If you're not, they'll, you know, they probably won't hire you back on the next thing kind of thing. Yeah. And so it was good. Like after a few projects, I was like, Oh, I must be doing okay. Kind of thing. But it's it's very much that it's like, it's not that anybody's like going to point you out. You just don't get hired back. You know what I mean? It's like Mm. kind of,
1: yeah. Nice guys finish first.
0: <laughs> you You just get you get filtered out, and I think that's yeah, yeah. that's generally it i think it might it might take longer in live action to happen because you're moving from a smaller th- you know not smaller thing yeah smaller time periods to smaller time periods, and it has it takes more time to catch up with you yeah. but I think after like nine months sitting in the same room as a bunch of people they've got a pretty good idea what you like to be around and if they want to be around you again you know what i mm-hmm. mean um, so i I think that longer process definitely differentiates things in terms of how you can act or the respect the the common decency you need to show to people I I do think
1: that's probably a difference. How important is it to be, to be? And I know it, 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 you would imagine it's a given, but how important is it to to be kind and empathetic yeah. to people when working with, with, with especially with large groups of people? Yeah, and I think especially th- over the last couple of years. That's
0: what I was going to say. Yeah, I think especially now more than ever, I think that's something that. Um, it's not the easiest thing to do always because everybody everybody's stressed, and you're working with people who are stressed, you're stressed uh it's very hard to just be kind uh sometimes to someone who isn't having a good day. you know what mm-hmm. I mean it's very easy for you to be kind on your best day it's it's you need to learn to be kind on your worst day, you know what I mean mm-hmm. you need to learn to you know step outside yourself a bit and realize that this person you know, just because you're having a bad day, it's not this person's fault, it's not this person's whatever. You, you need to to learn, yeah, the, to be kind, uh, to be um, uh, thoughtful of the other person's feelings, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, and it's difficult sometimes, I'd imagine, mm-hmm. you know, to separate that, to separate the humanity from, from the objective of whatever it is someone is working on. Um, Again, all passionate, everybody's passionate,
0: everybody wants to do their best job, and I think that's the thing, it's like sometimes. You differ on what the best job is, and I think that's uh I think that's a big, maybe other, another difference between live action and animation is the fact that, like i said if if it's two people sitting down to have coffee, there's a lot more decisions to make than if you and I went into the other room, picked up two cups, sat down at that table table, and filmed it yeah I mean, yes, if there was an art director and production designer, th- there'd be a lot more conversations but yeah. but you're not you're not physically designing a new cup, probably, and you're not. You're not inventing the way someone moves based on what you think they might be like. Uh, the, the actor is, but it's generally an internal process. It's not mm-hmm. usually a conversation that has to happen. Whereas there's a lot more... There's, there there, are a lot more choices that need to go into everything. And so that's that's where you need people who are passionate and who will stand up for that one thing. And maybe, you know, maybe, maybe they're not going to win everything, but you need to, um,
1: yeah. <laughs> Do you... Um um how do you and we ask everybody that comes on um or maybe maybe at the offset of working in animation is that nothing's a, sh- a, sh- a surefire a thing you know or nothing's a safe bet in terms of pitching for something but um you know i'd imagine the less like the yeses are maybe a little more concrete because there's a lot of work that has to go into something in planning and development developing and in terms of kind of lookbooks and developing worlds and you know bibles and stuff for -hmm. for series or whatever it may be um how important is it to um first of all how do you deal with rejection um in that environment or is it are do you find yourself um do you are you uh, invested emotionally a lot more because you've done so much work on something and i mean physical tangible work sometimes and then for it to not go the way you want it to go or not it not to be perceived that way. And then also um how do you kind of how do you repair that damage when you are rejected?
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Um I mean when it comes to projects, I'm I'm uh, not great at that because I think what what you <laughs> need to do really, let's say, is that what you need to do is take your project and you show it to Netflix yeah. and they say, Oh, we like it but we're not gonna make it and you go, Okay, then you turn to apple and you go hey do you want to make this and they go oh we like it but we don't have any you have to go to like everybody basically with your project and eventually maybe if everybody turns it down like you know 60 different entities turn it down then you're like okay maybe i have a problem or you know take on all the feedback and keep keep developing fair enough but i think what i tend to do is go to let's say your netflix or your whatever else pitch it to them we talk about it maybe they don't accept it and i go okay next idea and i put that aside and I move on to the next thing and i go for the next thing because but it's never dead it's never dead but i just move on from it and i kind of go what's the next thing um whereas what i should be doing and what any what (laughs) like if anybody actually asked me what i'd advise them to do is definitely don't do that because it's that thing is definitely not dead to me it's a project i like it's just that I just move on to the next thing, you know what I mean? And mm. so I, it's still something I want to make, but it's more like I'm moving on to the next thing that I'm going to pitch to someone else. And I'll have that in my back pocket or whatever, but it's not mm. something I'm, I'm actively pitching all the time, whereas I really should be doing that. So I, I would say that with rejection, I pretty much just go, okay, I'll accept the rejection. <laughs> I'll move on. What's my next idea? Because there's always new ideas and there's always more work. There's always more work to make, you know
1: what I mean? Um <laughs> But it, but it's zeitgeisty, isn't it? I mean it's something it's it's the why now, you know it's it's not mm-hmm. all it's that pitching thing the why now and you, your why now doesn't match their why now sometimes more well, often than not you well, know?
0: there's one there's one project I pitched uh, not so long ago to Netflix and it was literally just that they had something too similar in the works already yeah. um and that was it so it was just kind of like it's really a matter of oh, timing. Fair yeah, oh. yeah. it's one of those things <laughs> they liked it. It was just like, so it's like one of those things where you're like, but what, uh, yeah, it's just a matter of timing. What if I would pitched it six months
1: earlier, a year earlier, or, you know. Yeah. Um, do you, have you gotten a second bite at something in that regard that you shelved and then ca- it came back around? Um,
0: not really. I mean, there's definitely things that kind of like, they just get random kind of nibbles. It's like, you know, I'll, sh- I'll be talking to somebody about something else and it'll kind of pop up, whatever, but not like... Not like it was rejected the first time and I got a green light the second time or something. It's just yeah. general kind of like the bait just stays in the water and fish just come by and nibble on it sometimes and I don't really, I don't really take much heed of it. Mm-hmm. There's still things I'm kind of progressing, but it's just kind of like people nibbling at things until I meet someone who I feel like, oh, this is the person for it, and then I would really double down on it. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, me? yeah, yeah. Try and resurrect it and bring mm-hmm. it to life for that reason. Um, what about... Um, mindfulness do you practice like i we again we ask everybody that comes on do mm-hmm. you for some people it's going for a run or you know or just spending time doing anything else that's not the job that they do you know sure. or going for a few pints or meditating or whatever it is and not going for 10 pints yeah that, well that's a, what a, a lot form of do. <laughs> a form of meditation you put yourself into a <laughs> yeah. trance well not in a pub recently but yeah um but more recently yeah um what is it for you do you do that or do you d- is there something you do that helps you deal with the you know the downs because we all have them you know
0: you mean like with uh out, like what you mean hobbies outside work or do you mean like uh what's
1: your interest what's your star sign <laughs> what do you like to do now but, but how do you how do you heal yourself sure okay when things are not going the way you want them to do
0: yeah good point um well, when I was in Sydney, actually, I started studying uh, transcendental meditation. So I I, wow. I joined the transcendental meditation um, um, organization program, yeah, organization in yeah, yeah. Sydney. Yeah, uh, there's a name for it, but I can't remember. But yeah, so so I started studying that, and that's that's quite interesting. And I think it's very much something. Well, I, there's no books that exist, and you have to actually learn it from someone guided. Yeah, and I think that's quite interesting because it's somewhere where I was actually going to the institute every every week for like uh, for forever how long yeah. and then you like once you do it it means that then you can kind of um you can always kind of call back or get recentered and stuff like that and it's quite interesting um but i would say that in the last few months i've fallen out of it just because i've been so busy which is a real pity because it's something that again it's, it's it's the kind of thing that if i was talking to me i'd be like "Oh, but you need to get back into it And i was like
1: yeah i know it's just the, fun well, the we time. don't listen to our best advice do we no, no.
0: i think it's like when you start having busy work day, young child, all those things, they start to add up and you kind of, uh, you, you push out the things that you probably would be good for you but um,
1: yeah. As long as you revisit them um, I was interested to hear a while ago about Jerry Seinfeld being perceived as anti-social during Seinfeld mm. on lunch breaks and stuff, but he was meditating
0: Yeah, sure, he's been doing it for 30 he'd, years or something. Yeah, he'd yeah, be yeah.
1: going off for his 40 minutes or his hour and he'd be in his trailer literally meditating.
0: Yeah, yeah Just and it's, 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 you know, at the the lynch book like catching the big fish and stuff mm-hmm. i mean it is
1: there's a huge advocate of transcendental yeah, meditation very much so He's on the board of that organization yeah, isn't it yeah, yeah
0: very much so and i can see why i mean yeah. it's it is when it's good it's good and it's you just i think it's just that you expect it to be that every time you're probably not <laughs> going to get that every time but sometimes well, that it's, applies
1: to some other things as well yeah
0: <laughs> it's, it's exactly that and yeah you know, i assume you're talking about coffee but yeah yeah of course it is um, <laughs> I have a cup of coffee in front of me, that's why I'm... I'm
1: very aware of, like, because of the, the long developmental um, nature of some of the projects, particularly in animation, there's lots of NDAs and stuff like that as mm-hmm. well. Um, I'll start by asking you of two questions for you. First of which, what was your favorite project to work on so far? And what can you tell me about what you're working on at the moment?
0: Okay, so I would say that the f- my favorite thing that I've done so far was actually something, it was like uh, like a pilot that I directed for Amazon back in 2016, I think, mm-hmm. 15, 16, um, called Eddie of the Realms Eternal. And that was just a really great project because it came from these writers who had written a lot of stuff for Disney, actually, that I watched growing up. So they wrote a lot of Disney TV, they wrote like uh, Return of Jafar, like the Aladdin sequel and stuff. Yeah. So they had actually written on a lot of shows that I watched growing up that were kind of the things that, uh, you know, I was super into that kind of animation and, and they were the writers on it. And so they had written this pilot. And then I got, I managed to get a really good team on board. And so we were all in, most of us were in the studio together. The animation was done in in Denmark. But, I mean, overall, I think it was across, like, I mean, counting kind of uh, a couple of freelance people here and there, it was across like four countries and maybe like 100 people together and stuff like that. But it was like uh, the core team, uh, we were all in saloon together, and that was like really great because it was just like, great bunch of people really great artists and it was very much like just in constant flow we had i think from the day i was handed the script till the day we handed over the final i think it was nine months or something like that which is a very fast turnaround because basically it was like we the script the script was good obviously but also when i came on one of the things was that i wanted to i, I wanted to basically kind of change some things in the story in uh, the story sorry but in the um, in the way it was told like just uh, you know, that's what directing is, it's the compression of time. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. To, to compress some things to elongate others, uh, it was very much. Yeah, like I mean, Fincher has this thing on directing that it's uh, you make slow things fast, you make fast things slow, and I think it's very true. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with like when you read a script; that's very much what you're doing
1: generally as a director. You're 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 looking for economy in those terms uh, a lot of the time. You're buying time for, for you know what you perceive, but th- that changes all the time. I would imagine. Like no, 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 I, I meant
0: that uh, time is in time in in real time in, in visuals. Okay.
1: Yeah. 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 So, oh, in other words, practically.
0: Yeah. yeah, where like where you're spending the audience's time in terms of like that that uh, scene where they sit in the kitchen and they talk about this. Can we take that scene and this other scene where they're walking to school? Can we put all that into one conversation in the car um, and have them drive so that it's you've got more parallax going on with moving characters and it's more interesting to watch, but you're getting all the exposition in one go, things like that. Yeah. So, like, I, I tend to do that quite a bit. I like to to get as much economy into the stuff that we're doing and design. Design it around the the exposition that we're giving rather than just kind of letting it lay out, you know
1: what I mean? yeah, yeah, quite literally follow the way it's written. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, t- t- um, and then uh, what can you tell me about um what you're working on at the moment? So at the moment you're on a b- big enough job yeah, 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 so um, at the moment, I'm the compositing supervisor
0: on my father's Dragon. Um, mm-hmm. so it's the new cartoon saloon feature for Netflix. Mm-hmm. um it's directed by Nora Tumi, who's the director on Breadwinner. She was also the co-director on Secret of Kells. Um, she might have been, maybe she was head of story on song. I'm not sure exactly, but she's also one of the heads of Saloon. So she's like, uh, you know, she is, she is a Saloon as much as Thomas Saloon. You know what I mean, she is, uh, she's kind of one of the people who's like the 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 big. Um,
1: She's the, she's team. one half of the uh, ever moving saloon doors as you enter the saloon. Sure, of oh, the creative side, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. And then so um, so Nora's directing at the moment, and then we, yeah, uh, it's based on a book from the fifties um, of the same name. Yeah, and yeah, it's going to be like a two D hand drawn, very, very expansive, very exciting kind of adventure movie for Netflix.
1: Yeah, exciting. Different, different way of working. I would imagine, though, for the you know the time to mm-hmm. yeah more accessible. You know, but not not a not as big a shift because obviously Apple were involved at Wolf Walkers and yeah, Apple sure TV, exactly. And
0: I think before that, like a lot of European. The way European features tend to be tend to be financed is that they generally tend to be co-funded. So you might have mm-hmm. uh, a third of your money coming from France, a third of your money coming from Belgium or Luxembourg or somewhere, a third of it coming from Germany. So that's um, a lot
1: of masters to, you know, kind of appease, right? Uh, well,
0: it just means that maybe you do the animation in Germany, maybe the post-production in France, whatever. Y- you you kind of split it up between those countries to... to um, to make their funding boards happy you know yeah
1: mean? yeah yeah um i might ask you about just working with actors in, mm-hmm. in, in these environments um how what, what what is that like for you and how is um um how is it to work with actors in those environments you mean uh, to direct voice actors vo- yeah to, uh, working with voice actors yeah in particular.
0: it's it's something i haven't done as i definitely haven't done as much as i'd like i mean um, on my first short film, it was completely silent, and, yeah. I, and I kind of and I've made an orchestral, of,
1: yeah, 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 yeah,
0: and I've made a couple of films like that that are um, uh, non-speaking. Um, when I directed the voice directors uh, voice actors for Eddie, for instance, that mm-hmm. was from I was doing it from Ireland to the actors in LA, and like oh, really? it, it okay. had people like Greg Dillil, who's a really great uh, voice actor, John DiMaggio, you know, he's the voice of like Bender and Futurama and Jake the Dog on Adventure Time and stuff like that. So some some really great heavy hitters in the voice acting world. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really cool. So we were directing them through like uh, Skype or whatever. Um, and the thing is, in animation, you tend to work with um, with the voice director. So you actually have someone, like especially in the kind of Hollywood system, you tend to have someone whose job it is specifically to work with the to be on literally on the floor with the guys. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So basically, you have someone generally who's who is controlling the microphone into the booth, and you tend to be talking to the the. The casting director, the, the voice director, director and yeah.
1: then and then they communicate or, or yeah. expand upon ideas, and you know exactly. So if you're sitting
0: in the room, especially if you're sitting in the room with the uh, producers or executives, or whatever else, that they tend to simplify to for the actors. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, not because always. all actors are stupid.
1: Well, of course, I mean that's <laughs> that, that's why Louder.
0: that's why I keep explaining it to you because I'm trying <laughs> yeah, to well, make this as that, clear that, as possible. shit yeah. happens.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, what is it? Um, um, what is it you like? The most about animation, and what is it about animation that 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 um, the electric theatre doesn't do? You know, what what mm. is it about the cinema? What does animation do that cinema uh, or moving images in that way can't do?
0: Um, that is a good question.
1: Well, I mean, you know, the obvious answer is
0: you can do anything. I mean, you can literally do anything <laughs> you want to do. That's the the most. I think that's the most uh, obvious kind of tedious answer. Um, but why do I love animation? I guess, yeah, I I mean, for me at least, it just seems more, it seems, I, I think especially when I was young and everything else, it... it it seems more achievable, even though it's this crazy big thing that's, <laughs> you know, it takes so much more money than, say, again, back to our two guys at a coffee table. That, that would cost yeah. much more time, much more money to produce than than filming actors. But I think the kind of movies I wanted to make since I was a kid, it seemed more achievable to be able to just draw that background of the forest than go on location to a forest. I think in my mind, it was like I would never have the opportunity to actually have really good actors and go on location to places like that. But I knew I could draw them and that just seemed much more achievable, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. So it makes the impossible possible. Like, yeah. you know, because it's there's that old thing about film school in Ireland, you know, um, I suppose maybe to uh, maybe a lesser degree, but maybe commonly uh, in, in the UK as well. Write What you know within the constraints of your surroundings to make it more achievable to actually make. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's not a factor in in animation. I'd ask you about remote working. Do you think, um, I know a lot of animation companies and a mutual friend of ours uh, um, is working quite well in that way with with a virtual workforce. Mm -hmm. Um, How much of that is going to happen in the future? Uh, how much of that is going to be retained in the future? And do you think it's... Uh, uh, does the does the production benefit from having um, a lot of people working that way, or does it detract?
0: I think uh, since all of this started and people started working more remotely... Um, I mean, I think, first of all, it's not uncommon in animation that people work remotely. Mm-hmm. That's pretty normalized in the last, like, 10, 15 years, mm-hmm. or 10, 12 years. Um, so I would say, in one sense... We, we were already kind of like uh, going in that direction. Um, yeah. But now in the last year or two, you have animation studios cropping up that are completely remote. There is no physical studio. And that's happening for the first time. That wasn't really um, seen as a possibility before. I think I've, I've spoken to friends about this, other friends who are supervisors um, uh, on different projects. And we've spoken about that, how it's been in the last couple of years, uh, dealing with teams, dealing with everything. And I think it's interesting because some people... Uh, let's say a a friend of mine who's a supervisor he was talking about someone he knows who he's worked with in studio for years uh, and he was saying actually as soon as he started working remotely he's much more productive he produces more than he ever produced before and he seems much happier Uh, even though he's he seemed to be happy and productive in the studio as soon as he started working from home he actually started his, his the the quality of his work and the the amount of work uh, improved. Yeah. And so he was like, wow, so there's a guy who could actually benefit from from working like this.
1: Is that a kind of Danish or Scandinavian working model kind of... um, You mean to work from home? Well, no, I mean, like, are people more productive when they're more in... Look, let's be honest, in an eight or ten hour day, you're not working for ten hours straight, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, four or five really productive hours within a day where you're actually really creatively... Are
0: oh, you talking about like being in the zone, being kind of in mean? that zone? You know, sure. You
1: know that in, that intensity of of creativity and idea, the spontaneity yeah, of that.
0: I think that's also kind of yeah. I, I guess that depends on kind of like how much how much rope you're given in terms of your. Yeah. You know, how much time you're given to, say, do a set amount of work, uh, and that really depends on, on what which department you're working in yeah. uh, or what position you're in. Let's say for me, I feel like I start my day and I've got meetings and stuff all day, so I, I don't really feel like I have a chance <laughs> to be in the zone or out of the zone. I literally just have the time I can get between meetings. The, so. the twilight zone. Actually. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. exactly that. Um, but no, I would also say that there's people who have been, mm-hmm. who've started working remotely, and you can see that they they haven't got the attention span for it. I mean, literally, as soon as they're working from home, they are probably kind of like just. I have friends who were telling me that, like, they literally just as soon as they're working from home, they'll just suddenly be like, Oh, I need to wash the dishes, and I'll go and start doing that. or start cleaning the house. They're like, My house has never been cleaner than since I've been working at home. <laughs> but I've talked to like
1: their supervisors, and they're like, well, There's a lot of like, OCD people working in animation. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, um, I want to talk a little bit about kind of Irish animation in the 80s, a little mm-hmm. bit, and whether any of that might have had any influence on you, Don Bluth, and you know, sure.
0: Uh, I mean, Bluth was, a, Bluth was a big influence, definitely. Yeah, um, and uh, in more than one way, I mean. Bluth was an influence in terms of his films. I mean, I, I grew up loving like uh, loving uh, all those with the heaven and loving like *Land Before Time* and stuff. Yeah. And on the other side, you've got like uh, Don Bluth is the one who set up the the college in Ballyfermot to mm-hmm. train animators. So that is also like I mean, uh, both say Tom and Nora uh, who started Saloon. They and you went to And I went to Ballyfermot. Yeah, and they both they both came from Ballyfermot. The guys who started Brown Bag came from Ballyfermot. So. All of these people all kind of came from this this one play, even like, say, people like Richie Bainham, people like that. He came, he was the art director on like um, Avatar and stuff like that. He came wow. from from for Men as well. And so you, you, have, you have a lot of great people who kind of came from, if that hadn't been, if that hadn't come together because of Bluth, I don't know what the Irish
1: animation scene would actually be like. Well, yeah, well, well, I suppose it would be, but it would be nowhere near what it is.
0: now. No, and then at the same time then, say, the producer on my, my uh, Pierce Cullinan, who's the producer on my first short film, my first professional short, uh, he was actually a uh, Bluth guy from back in the 80s as well. <laughs> so the thing is, like, Bluth's influence definitely is this, uh, and actually uh, Gary Goldman, who is the Bluth producer who produced a lot of the great features, he visited the studio while I was working on my short, and so he actually, I have a picture with him, he's actually Looking at my watch, watching my short film, watching the in progress reel and stuff like that. How freaky, was, how freaky was that? It was amazing because it's like there's someone who's like made a lot of the stuff that you watch as a kid, and now he's like watching your, your the 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 fruits of
1: that labor kind of thing. So,
0: yeah,
1: um, It looked incredibly inspiring just to even be around someone like that.
0: Yeah, very much so. And so so from that perspective, yeah, Bluth has had a massive uh, impact on the Irish animation scene. It's a shame.
1: I don't think um, a lot of people in film and TV in gen in general terms know enough about. That period, in Mm -hmm. you know, an Irish animation. I know that a friend of mine had a bash at trying to pull together a retrospective documentary Mm. about all that, and he interviewed a lot of really important people across the states and stuff. uh, Stuff, but I don't think it was released, or it it certainly didn't find a home on television. It's it's such a waste. Mm, yeah, very much so. Yeah, uh, yeah. W- to you know, just you know, just like, look. Everybody who's working in the industry in, in animation would know, but I, I, I think in general terms, like C- Cartoon Saloon didn't just pop up out of thin air, you know.
0: Yeah, very much so. Either the any of the studios in, in Ireland,
1: even like you know, of which there are many now, and all from very much so.
0: Yeah, very much so, and all turning out, like all turning out like um, world class work. You know what I
1: mean? Yeah. Where, w- like, where do you see your future creatively? and um, what do you kind of what are your kind of am- ambitions and i know you know you, you said you want to dabble a bit in, in, more in live action mm-hmm. and stuff but uh, what's kind of now that you're back in ireland living in ireland um where do you see yourself in five years Paul? Hmm. Um, what, what do you want to do
0: that's a good question i mean i mean what i want to do is make features mm-hmm. um that's kind of what i've always wanted to do but that is not a short, um, <laughs> that, is not an easy, that is not an easy ask, especially, I mean, again, back to the animation versus live action thing. I mean, I know that if I wanted to shoot a live action feature, yeah. whether it was terrible or not, I could physically do it. Like I could take what I have in my bank account, I could grab some people, we could go shoot a feature, it might be very good, but I could physically do it. Yeah. To do that in animation means, as I said, most likely... Multiple countries coming in for funding, mm-hmm. a lot of development, like years of development um, and years of of focus, so the thing is what I want to do is uh, is make features. I think my thing right now is without my own studio that's that's not easy to do no. because basically it means asking another stu- asking a studio someone else's studio basically to take a, a huge amount of time and energy to pour into your um, endeavors. Mm-hmm. you know what I mean if it's if it's a personal project or
1: you know mm-hmm. um, do you think that the because uh, I'd like to because you've worked abroad mm-hmm. as well what are the main differences between working and then we let you go <laughs> uh, what are the main differences between working um, abroad in your line of work and Then, like, working here, I suppose, initially, going off, seeing different perspectives, sure, and then coming back and working again.
0: So, I guess, just to give context, when you say I worked abroad, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I've worked in Ireland for a while, and then I worked in...
1: Like, somewhere quite remote as well.
0: Yeah, but I've worked in Copenhagen for a while, and then I did some work in Madrid, and then um, I went to live in La Réunion, near Madagascar. It's a a small island, uh, French department. It's quite remote. Yeah, yeah, like, it's (laughs) a teeny, tiny little (laughs) island near... Uh, near Mauritius uh, near Madagascar and that side of things
1: incredible life experience yeah beautiful beautiful And my son was born there so oh, wow. uh, really beautiful
0: yeah really amazing really amazing time uh, and actually I'm developing I'm still in development on a project uh, with the studio there with Gaoshan Pictures with the studio there so we're going to be making something together that I'll be directing so that's that's really cool as well um, so I will be going back there at some point to to continue
1: mm-hmm. with that that sounds like a like number one a great vacation, but number mm-hmm. two a, an, another lovely life experience.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a it, it literally is a tropical paradise. So it's
1: uh, besides the sharks and the
0: volcanoes, it's uh, it's amazing. Yeah, why did you come back? <laughs> uh, it's funny because every every Irish person has asked me that since I came back because I, I went to La Reunion then I went to, uh, to Sydney to work yeah. and then I came back here and since I came back that's all I get uh, whether it's from the people who actually hired me to come back or whether for whatever yeah, um, I came back to to work I mean me personally I came back to to work on the film that I'm on to work on My Father's Dragon yeah. um, I think Noor is a really great director uh, I think that Cartoon Saloon is a really great studio. I, lo- I love the work that they make. That's why I keep working with them. I mean, I, I realized that actually um, this month, I think I would have started with Saloon 10 years ago. Um, like I have been working with them within, fully within those 10 years, but it would have been 10 years ago that I actually started there. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I came back to be on the film pretty much. I mean, that's that's it was a, a good opportunity on a great film. So, yeah.
1: You go where the work is.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> at, the moment, at the moment, it's very much it. I'm looking for... I'm always looking for kind of like interesting projects or, or people whose people whose uh, vision I want to support or people, uh, artists who I find uh, really interesting or inspiring or uh, people I aspire to be like. I think that's kind of what I'm always trying to follow. I think one thing that scared me early on is one of my, I mean, I've worked a bunch of jobs. Like I've worked, uh, I studied animation in Ballet Firm and I studied animation in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. But after that, I was like, I was a sculptor. I was a uh, uh, worked as a carpenter for a while. I was also like a book illustrator. I was a motion graphics designer. Um, I was a, a barman for in cocktail bars for a while. Um, I've done a lot of things and I think I've l- picked something up from each one of those jobs that is, is uh, invaluable uh, always. There's always something that you can find from doing all these jobs.
1: Which leads me nicely, seg- sure. w- a nice segue to kind of my final question. Um, what advice would you kind of give to yourself Um, I suppose, as someone in their teens who has some aspirations, like like you at that age, or a prospective filmmaker, storyteller, animator, um, I would imagine one of the worst things would be be patient. Yeah, (laughs) be patient,
0: uh, definitely. I mean, we we spoke about this before we came on, and um, I think patience is definitely a thing, and I think patience is not the easiest thing like when you're in college making your graduation film everything else it feels like you are depending on the kind of person you feel like maybe you're in competition with like the people in your class to make a better film or whatever else it it might feel like that uh, maybe Mm. you might be incredibly collaborative but when you finish your film it's, it, hopefully that is probably the best thing you've ever made or the m- most complete thing you've ever made or the best film you've ever made. Mm-hmm. And Certainly at that time. I'm definitely. Sure. And, and, that, and that's what it should be. And and you should be proud of that and you should feel proud. But I think what's very hard, I think, for new graduates sometimes is they get out and then they realize that they they are a new graduate of, let's say, 2021, but they're a new graduate of... The twenty people from their class from that one school, and then say like, within Ireland now, there's like several animation colleges. So let's say you're, let's say if there's five, then you're one of a hundred new graduates that year. And let's say that's in Ireland, and you're also in competition with people in the UK, in France, in in Germany, in Belgium, and in, in Denmark specifically, like uh, from everywhere. I mean, so with all of these
1: things, they sound like really fair odds. Yeah, but I mean, that's <laughs> the thing. It's, it's
0: they they are fair in the fact that it's it's really about I think. um it's fair in the sense that it really depends what you want to do. If if you love the work itself, if you enjoy the work, then you're probably going to be okay. If all you want to do is make that one specific thing that you want to make, yeah. Um that's again okay. I, I've 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 known animators who I've known animation filmmakers who spent like five years living in their parents' basement or attic or whatever, just working on their one stop motion film. I know a guy who did that, and it was a good film, and he got a lot of work. he he got a whole career from basically when that film finally came out. Me personally, I'm not someone who wants to spend five years on my own. I like the team atmosphere. I like yeah. direct. I, I think there's a difference between filmmakers and directors in that sense. There's people who who want to direct, who want to take a team of people. Like I said, who are who are uh, more capable than you are? Uh, who are who pe- people you aspire to be like, yeah. and to take that team and make something that neither none of you could have made alone kind of thing and to take to take all of that talent and make something that none of you ever could have imagined without each other i think that's something i want to do i don't want to sit in a room for five years of my own uh because it's kind of masturbation from my perspective i mean it's kind of like it's ego
1: you know it's ego massage to a degree yeah and
0: for some people for some people are just
1: very shy everybody can be you know a kubrick or you know yeah very much so yeah you know we need each other in order to Survive and to 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 uh, creatively mm-hmm. flourish. I, I believe as as a collective, very much. So. Um, but wait, uh, just we'll I'll keep going one second.
0: So what I would say is that if you if you love what you do and mm-hmm. to keep pushing, uh, that's probably the best thing you can do is to actually enjoy the work and to find the part of the work that you enjoy. Not just do something you don't like, hoping that it'll come up as uh, not just like take on a job in a department you don't like, uh, hoping that you'll just get the thing you do want. You may have to do that. And if you do have to do that, the piece of advice I give is that the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And I think you always need to remember that. Mm-hmm. If you're the person sweeping the floor, be the best person sweeping the floor. If you're the person, you know, uh, printing, you know, if you're the person photocopying, be the best photocopying person. Don't forget sheets. Don't, you know, misalign <laughs> things. Because it's it sounds like very basic stuff. But I've worked with, I, if you want to take a second, I can give you an example. Go ahead. I have someone I worked with who stands out in my memory because... She was someone working in, the, in a smaller project. She was someone working on the ink and paint department. That's where you basically take the, the line drawings and you color them. Um, and I was working in the compositing department, so they're directly feeding to me. And this person had this idea that they should be an animator, which is kind of like something that generally you might start as an ink and paint artist, uh, maybe if you're a new graduate or an intern or something like this, mm-hmm. and you might work your way up to being an animator. And this person really felt that they should be an animator already. And so they saw the job that they were doing is, was beneath them. Mm, but It's a bit of an entitlement. But not even entitlement, but just a matter of all the work we were getting from them had mistakes because they weren't paying attention to what they were doing. So there was constant mistakes and everything they were doing. And so that person didn't get hard back because the thing is, you might, want, you might be on rung one of the ladder and you might want to be on rung two. But if you're not very good at being on rung one, nobody's going to allow you to go to the next step. I, so I would say that that's the thing I see a lot, actually, um, and probably... Right now, the best piece of advice I would give is definitely that—that that it's not like you're always being watched, watched, but you are always being assessed in some subliminal way. You are always kind of like you are the person, you know, who's really good at your job, who's really dedicated. You're th- you might have the simplest job in the production, but you're the person who takes pride in their work. Yeah, that well, stands well, out. You know, I mean, the
1: individual assessment ultimately that you should be concerned about is your own. Yeah, of your own work. Exactly,
0: and that's pride, yeah. and pride stands out. And I think uh, shoddy workmanship also stands out. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the old adage, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well, mm-hmm. regardless of what it is in life. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, thanks so much for your time. Um, I've really enjoyed this. There are several other other things we could talk about. Which we'll uh, probably do over a pint, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, Are we going to record the pint as well? That's yeah, be- we're going. Th- yeah, absolutely, and film it, and we're going to animate it afterwards. And, Fantastic, um, and be very animated in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. Um, I for one will be following kind of your journey. Um, I appreciate your time, and and thanks for coming up for this. And continued success. Thanks very much, Paul. Take it easy. Thank you. Cheers. F&I Rap
0: Chat is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network and recorded at the podcast studio in Dublin City Centre. Shoutouts to our sponsors, Wildcard Distribution and Film Equipment Store. This episode was produced and edited by Larry McGowan. See you next time on Rap Chat. And before we go, here's another show we recommended that is part of the Headstuff Podcast
2: Network. This is how it's always been.
0: Double Love is a podcast in which we explore the strange and terrifying world of Sweet Valley High, book by book. Join me, Anna Carey. And me, Karen Moynihan. As we
2: revisit one of the maddest series of books ever written or ghostwritten.
0: If you ever read about Elizabeth and Jessica, the perfect blonde Wakefield twins, then you might enjoy listening to us absolutely tearing them to shreds. Affectionately, of course. Of course. And even if you didn't, there's still plenty of
2: drama, kidnapping, stolen boyfriends and school dances to entertain you. Find us on the Headstuff Podcast Network and wherever you get your podcasts.